This is the Propaganda Report. I am Monica Perez here with Brad Binkley. How you doing, Binkley? I'm good. I'm going to turn my camera off because I think it's slowing down the connection. Me too. Good still. Okay, great. <laughs> I'm glad you're good. Glad you're happy. <laughs> How are you? How was your 4th of July? Well, I was afraid you were going to ask that. Uh-oh. <laughs> I went to a really wonderful 4th of July party held by really good people who I respect and like and who treat me with respect, even though I am so so many <laughs> standard deviations away from the mean. Lesser folks snub me, and these people are always super, super respectful. I really like them. They're very patriotic, and I have always been very patriotic. My father was a vet. I was, my brother was a vet. I just um, always love this country. I love what it stands for. I defend the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, even though I'm an Articles of Confederation gal. So they're, <laughs> they're reading the Declaration of Independence, which I love. They're doing like at the party. They're doing that. Yes, they had like a little microphone set up, and wow, were they dressed up in you know big hair wigs and old time clothing? No, no, but there was a little girl. So this is from my kids' school, where everybody has like ten kids. It's you know, <laughs> might as well be Amish. Very fertile parents. It's yeah, it's very Catholic, and uh, so one big family was saying. Um, uh, a poem, hats off to the flag or something, hats off, the flag is passing by. And their little six-year-old had a dress that had like uh, wing-type sleeves that when she opened her hands, she was a giant flag. <laughs> so wow, it was awesome. It was really great. And my son, who has Down syndrome, got a lot of the trivia questions right, which was amazing to me. But awesome. um, yeah, it was great. But uh, my son who does not have Down syndrome, uh, looks over to me and said, you don't buy any of this, right? <laughs> I said, no, <laughs> what? I, I, I go, the guy held up his constitution, one of the speakers, he said, you should have one of these. And my husband said to me, he's like, don't you have two? I said, yeah, where are his tabs? Where are all the little dog ears? What kind of a, what kind of a constitution is that? It's not, it's not even written on. So I'm there, but, uh, so but, the constitution, you have to have one and it has to be worn out from so many, so many times referencing. Oh, you have to correct it. <laughs> you, have, <laughs> you have to put little carrots like in clauses that should be inserted. Actually, I don't think it needs to be corrected. I, I, um, I'm good with it. I much prefer the card articles of confederation for one reason is that it didn't allow the government to tax the federal government to collect taxes, which would have prevented all of this from happening. But, but where they lose me, these people and, and so many patriots and conservatives, Republicans, they, they absolutely, they, one of the things they did was salute veterans and active military for their service in the here and now defending this country. And I, didn't say, but I would have liked to have said, you know, from whom? And and I understand the argument is 9-11 was an invasion of our land. I should say that's the only argument I will accept. But Osama bin Laden was a CIA operative. And that's 
like in the congressional record, Hillary admitted that, not about Osama bin Laden specifically, but about the Mujahideen who were called Osama's Afghans until they changed it to Osama's database, Al-Qaeda, you know, means the base. So I don't know, you know, so I, I just, they lose me because they're really moral people who don't like stealing or killing, who really care about the rights enshrined in the Bill of Rights. And for me, this war on terror is used as an excuse, A, to dismantle the Bill of Rights, and B, to go over into other countries and kill people living in their own country. And I just, I can't, I I just want to shake them and say, you know, let's, Let's investigate the facts here. You know, let's just not repeat the stuff the glowing box tells us. And there, there were such smart, such good people, but I didn't. <laughs> Later, the mom, the they hostess, said, oh, Monica, I wanted so much for you to get up there and say something. And I said, hey, man. <laughs> no, you no, don't. You didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I said, you know, that's probably better for a smaller crowd. And uh, she's like, oh, no, no, I love Patrick Henry. I'm like, oh, I love Patrick Henry, too. But trust me. So anyway, I had a great it was I had a good time. It was a great party. And I just it bums me out. <laughs> my son, my little younger son said, oh, yeah, mom, the good thing you didn't say anything like you would have pulled a Frederick Douglass on him, you know. And I was like, <laughs> Frederick Douglass has this speech, this Fourth of July. I love Frederick Douglass. He's great. And he has his 4th of July speech like, uh, you know, don't break your arm, patting yourselves on the back for all your liberty and justice <laughs> for all. You know? And uh, he's like, yeah, I imagine the party he he rolled that out at. I was like, yeah, I would and not have done that. Son said, don't you would have pulled my, a Frederick Douglass? My 11-year-old, yes. <laughs> they know you well. It's like inviting Frederick Douglass to your 4th of July party. <laughs> So I was on my very, very best behavior and, uh, and I had, but it really made me sad because I'm beyond that. Like, and I, I believe, I, I believe in the, in the, in the principles on which we were founded, but I also think that because of the media as it is, it, we, the people who still think that we are, you know, our soldiers are in foreign countries defending our bill of rights. I just, I, I, I'm so beyond that. It's a, it's a, it's just a deception, you know, that's propagated by the glowing box in your living room. The soldiers themselves might believe they probably in most cases believe that they are. So many of them, when they come back, they're like, Oh, I had no idea. This is not about that. You know, you get the most, aware people are the ones who come back and it, right. and it's it's a shame because these are our youngest our strongest our most courageous people who are willing to lay their lives down for the right cause right and then they do and they lose life and limb and all that and i i, I weep i weep for them i honestly right. shed real tears for them because it's such a waste it's such a it's it it actually does more harm than good in the interest of out what they think they're defending because they use the this the danger that they create by having an unstable system, by bombing other countries, by creating refugees, by spreading terrorism, they then use the, those as an excuse to take our, our rights away here at home. 
I, These you are know? the warnings, yeah, that they get the, it talks about this a lot. Harold Laswell does in Propaganda Techniques in World War. The war aims are, which are rarely true, but are what can unify a country and compel people to go sacrifice their life for what they believe to be defending. And like you said, many that come back, they say it wasn't about what I thought it was at all. But it doesn't matter by then. But, yeah. but the report from Iron Mountain, which is so short, uh, it, the subtitle of it is on the possibility and desirability of peace. The entire premise of that think tank study was to decide to figure out if there was a substitute for the function of war in keeping. They say it was in keeping society in place, but if you really read it, it's about keeping the hierarchy in place. It's really not about so- society's cohesion. It's about the hierarchy's status quo yeah and they basically conclude there is no substitute for war that you don't if you don't have an enemy that's enough to scare the people you will have to create one and then exactly my my favorite thing about that the report from iron mountain is if you tell somebody about it who is is you know has has been patterned to reject anything but the main the main story the official story They'll say, oh, it's, it's been debunked. That thing was a hoax. I'm like, oh, okay. It was a hoax that is basically played out exactly. Yes. I yes, mean, how can yes. you call that a hoax? You know what I did? I, you and I are compiling, uh, as you know, but <laughs> listeners might not know, a, uh, a couple of book lists. I, I, I know you have highlighted, and it's, I, I think, sticky, sticky, taped to the top of our website taped <laughs> propaganda report daily.com uh the these big books that not large in size but like these powerful books that we talk about a lot on the show that list other recommendations and reviews i've done and then i've been compiling a list of stuff of the books that i've come upon in my readings and research and stuff that I have read or want to read or I think are important to know are out there. So I'm, I'm doing a list like that. And one of the things is, so I have the report from Iron Mountain. I have, I have bolded on my list like five or six out of 150 books I have up there already. Five or six must-haves. And the report from Iron Mountain, which is quite short, is one of them. But what I did, I not only uh, investigated the... So it was a nonfiction bestseller in the 60s. It was distributed widely within the government. The government gave out thousands of copies. But in like 1971, 1970, something like that, they came out and said, oh, it was a hoax. It wasn't real. Now, uh, John Kenneth Galbraith was asked to be on to, to be on the think tank that created that document. And he couldn't because he had other obligations, but he did contribute to it. And he said it was absolutely real. L. Fletcher Prouty, who I like, I think he might supposedly have been the deep throat of Watergate. Is that possible? I can't remember. Um, I can't remember about that. But uh, I like him. And he said it was, if not literally true, effectively true, that this is what they do. These are the conclusions they came up with. But what they said was that the guy who wrote it, Lewin, what he just wrote it. He was a, he wrote novels and it was a hoax. And that was that others have said it was way too complex on point deep. You know, it was just obviously the product of great, the greatest minds in the country. And I said, okay, well, let's see if this guy is capable of that. 
and they said he was a novelist and blah, blah, blah. The only, and this is in my book list, the only other thing I could find that he wrote that was at all relevant was a novel called Triage, which reflected kind of these themes from Report from Iron Mountain, which was published a year after they came out with this hoax story. So it was published in 71 or 72. And uh, and I just thought it was interesting because the people think that this is debunked, that that guy was a great writer, but they like sheep dipped him or created a legacy by, yeah. I would say, ghostwriting the novel. It's not that he ghost wrote the report. It's that they ghost wrote the novel for him to give them cover on the report. Yeah. But the, the report itself, there's no denying that if it wasn't a blueprint, it was a premonition. Now, for our listeners, I think it's, you probably made it clear. What exactly is sheep dipped? Oh, okay. So you can create a legacy, which is what sheep dipping is. I think that's basically the same thing. So somebody they who take, doesn't have one after the fact. Yeah. So they'll take it and they'll create a background for a person or like actual literally sheep dipping is taking a sheep and dipping it in this stuff. Then all the bugs fall out. <laughs> and then you have a sheep without bugs. So if you sheep dip them, like you get, you kind of expunge all of the telltale signs from their history that would demonstrate this wasn't true. So I don't know, I guess if they, if this guy had been a think tank member and they expunged his record of that and gave him a legacy of writing novels, I, I would call that sheep dipping. I might have to look it up to see if I'm. Okay, it's kind of kind of like also whitewashing the internet of of people's information when they don't, or maybe a, a president's information. Yeah, whitewashing. Um, Rick Rolling. <laughs> Rick Roll. Do you know what Rick Roll is? To Rick Roll. What's a Rick Roll? Sounds Rick like Roll. a wrestling move. Rick Roll, I think, was the name of this uh, video. The guy who is in this video, but. For a long, for a while there, so like Michelle Obama's Whitey video and uh, this Rick Perry video, I remember um, oh, yeah. from when he was running for governor in Texas. They had this video of him getting stopped by a cop and saying, "Do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? he was going like 110?" And he's just totally big time. You're all over the place. So when he was running for president, I was looking for that because I remembered it from when I lived in Texas, and it was totally like halfway through the video. Rick Rick Roll, this vid- music video pops up, and uh, and that's what they do. So that you have this video that has like five million hits on it, and it's this music video, and that was true for the Michelle Obama Whitey comment. Do you remember that one? I remember that, but a music video came up. So if you if if you go to YouTube and try to get right Michelle Obama Whitey, you'll you'll see a video that comes up with maybe it's gone by now, but that has five million hits on it. You're like, obviously that's the one, right? And when you pull it up, it's like what happened to me the other day with that immigration thing where I I linked to an actual video on Fox News. I took the embed thing. I knew they were gonna scrub it, so I got the actual URL source, the embed link, and when you link to it. It's a different video. So they went in on a basic level and swapped out the video with leaving the link the same. And I think that's how they did it. They do Rick Rolling. They just take out whatever the video they don't like and they put this music video in. It's so weird because it's always the same music video. It's like some weird cultish phenomenon. Really? <laughs> yes. It was very strange. It was now that you don't know about it makes me worried that I, I'm not getting it right. But I, I remember experiencing it many times. And we used to say, oh, I got Rick Rolled. I like that term. 
Rick. Yeah, Roll. it's good. It's it's some, but it, that's the name of the guy, Rick Roll. Yeah, or, the, I don't know. I I could be wrong. What the heck do I know? But. So yeah, the same people who will say that that book is debunked, the report on Iron Mountain, will turn right around and then they'll cite 1984 as something, which is like, well, wait a minute, you just said one is is you is not credible because you say it's a hoax, but then you just cite what you believe to be a fiction book. Yes, and which was, by the way, written by military intelligence. I know, yeah, you know, and yeah. they do that like that's that's the thing with Edward Snowden when Edward Snowden came out. I knew immediately he told us in that interview in his first 10 minutes of fame, he said, my worst fear is that nothing will change. I'm not here to tell you the answer. I'm just here to start the conversation. I just want to talk about the trade off between security and all that stuff. was. And I voted for Ron Paul. Like everything he was saying was completely wrong. He was only there to get us to get used to this. And and that's what that's what this stuff is for. It's to yeah. it's just to put the idea in our minds so that we're not shocked by the reality of it, the, the the theory of it when it's not too dangerous, when it's not in your face. The theory of it is enough to just carve. It's that it. I think it's the idiot or what is it? It's a um can't be the idiot. It's that is it. Dostoevsky starts out with the opening lines of Von Ilyich, maybe that. Man is a creature who can get used to anything, and that may be the very best way to define him. Absolutely. And that's what this stuff is for. Uh, yeah, it's – I mean cultural conditioning is – you know, they they seed stuff like that subtly and surely, and it starts to become part of the conversation, kind of like world government versus – nationalism has become a predominant part of the conversation a couple of years ago people didn't you know if you said the world the word globalism or world government people would think you're crazy but now it's part of the everyday conversation same thing with a story that i want to a headline that i just noticed and i, I read through the story canadian baby given health card without sex designation a canadian baby has been issued a health document that doesn't specify male or female and what the campaigners are claiming is the world's first. So we've been culturally conditioned to accept this moment right here as not being just outrageous. What? Yes, yes, yes. It, it's total to me. It's obviously totally. the next step. But <laughs> yeah. what do you think is behind all of this? Like, what do you think is behind this gender neutralization? Is it simply a matter of, People say that when you have overpopulation, which I don't think we have, but when you have overpopulation, you want to turn to non, non-productive sex, and that's what is the underlying motive. Because obviously, this is like a hugely political thing. Is it to just make everything subjective? Nothing can be objectively true. Like, what do you personally think is this is all about? I think part of it is population control. I think that's definitely part of it. I think another part of it is that these these types of values are progressive world government values. So anybody who feels like they identify with them is going to be, I think, pretty much automatically anti right wing and not and, and anti middle of the road a lot too. I think this I think this gets people com- by committing to this value they essentially are committing to way way progressivism world government values. Well, you just prompted me to think of a one of the books I put in that book list was the was the Karl Popper 
uh, open society books, which is what um, George Soros yeah. is his. And I, and I wrote in my um, blurb about these books, what, what that open society thing is. And I think it's on point here. I'm in, oh. Yeah. Open society dot. It might be dot org, but open society is one of Soros's foundations that you. Oh, are, yes. Yes. You know? I, I, but it comes from this, comes from this guy, 1962 yeah. book called the open society and its enemies. And it talks about, um, I think I just pulled this off a of wiki though. Popper saw the open society as standing on a historical continuum reaching from the organic, tribal, or closed society through the open society marked by a critical attitude, a critical attitude to tradition, up to the abstract or depersonalized society, lacking all face-to-face interaction transactions. Seems redundant to me. but So the idea is to de- depersonalize society, like to yeah. make it like... It seems to me it negates not only the family, it starts by negating the tribe, the family, even to the point where it seems to want to negate the individual or or any interactions whatsoever, which um, I guess if, you know, do you think, it's easy to say it undermines uh the gender neutrality or whatever undermines the family because the family is kind of the basis of these gender roles. But uh, some argue that, that it allows for family bonds in, in, in new relationships, relationships that are becoming acceptable, that are inevitable, that are there anyway, by allowing them to have family bonds, you kind of re- renew this respect for the family. Well, the parent of this kid identifies as non-binary trans. So I guess oh, really? in, in a way, yes, the child, the parent is making the child somehow bond with, what is it, Z-E, I believe yeah, it's called yeah. when it's not a he or she, Z? I, I actually cannot condone imposing your your own, you know, if that person is searches his or her soul, Z's soul, and decides to live that way, I think it's been well established that to do that to kids or for kids to be, um, I think even the American Pediatric Society, which has to be a pretty highly controlled organization that's supposed to heal to whatever social engineering is afoot, they have said that that even kids who have genuine gender confusion, uh, if you indulge that and let them kind of have a sex change operation when they're pubescent or whatever, it really results in higher rates of suicide, depression. It's it is a absolutely it's it messes- something separate from like homosexuality. It's just a it's a it usually resolves as heterosexual. It messes with the psychological development of children. It's, I mean, it creates mass confusion. Yeah, and like, sex as a kid thing. You know, there the was it Kinsey who kind of tried to make us think that sex is something kids actually are aware of. I mean, I see it with my own kids. It's just it only comes when they get those hormones. I mean, it absolutely just switches on. Yeah, I mean, I certainly childhood is weird. Yeah, I don't remember 
thinking about girls or women in the same way as a kid, you know, it's just, it's just completely different. You don't have, uh, until you hit puberty, really. I mean, you don't know what they're for. It's just, and why make that a big deal? You know, why make it part of the conversation? I don't know. Right. In this article, the woman or not woman, the person parent, (laughs) Corey Doty, which they gave the kid a female name. I can't remember where it was. I saw it was like Siri. Oh, it's, it's pronounced Cheryl. I think. It was, it was spelled Siri. Because I heard somebody like, say Siri. it on the radio. It's like, it's named it after Alexa? After the, yeah, after like <laughs> iPhone almost. S-E-A-R-Y-L. It's up to oh, Serial oh. to decide how to identify when they are old enough. And they refer to it as they. You now, know, that's that, that, just like, grammatically that's incorrect. I am drawing the line on that. Right. Yeah. I cannot tolerate. I this is how the mom said it. That. how the mom said it. When they are old enough... No, I mean that's that's two people. That's All right. More that's than it. Person. Okay, I was totally open to the different arguments, but now I can't have it. When they are old enough to develop their own gender identity. So what happens when? Because <laughs> the kid's going to be a boy. He's going to be a girl. He's going to be a dog. It's going to be a chair at some point. At what point do you say <laughs> that's the one you have to stick with, kid? I'm tired of you changing. Is it where? What I'm thinking of a sci-fi movie where like. The, the, th- the screen keeps changing, 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 and you have to, like, hit the button and see what you get. Yeah. It's just like that. I mean, what are you, musical chairs? I don't hey, know. Yeah, at what point is the kid committed to the – is there – see, this this makes you think there's eventually going to be some sort of some sort of rules to, to govern this. Like, at what age and how many times does a kid have to – does a kid have to sit down and sign a contract – I mean, that just let's just take the libertarian point of view. What, why just skip the birth certificate? How about that? (laughs) that? Why does this person, this parent, and the state get to decide? Well, I guess they're not deciding, they're not putting anything on there. So, I mean, it could be worse. Maybe draw a little picture of the gender. But I just, I don't need a birth certificate. I don't need a marriage certificate. I don't need certificates to define my existence. But boy, we are so, so far beyond that in this highly controlled society that, uh, you know, that's another thing that Brzezinski wrote with the American, the technotronic era, where he talks about the highly controlled society that the powers that be would be able to pull up your entire history, every thought, every, everything that you, that defines you uh, over through time and your experiences with a single keystroke. I mean, he, he predicted that, you know, Facebook, he predicted everything. So that was, he predicted that in the, in 40 years ago. Uh, more than 40 years ago. I think that book was from like 1972. That's probably when they were testing it with Zuckerberg's, I don't know, dad or somebody related to him or something. Yeah, who knows where that really came from. But I mean, it, these are not predictions. They're not premonitions. They're blueprints. Yeah, right, exactly. Speaking of Brzezinski, we didn't talk about this. We haven't talked about this much yet, but it's kind of back in the news today. As most people are probably aware of Trump's tweets last week about Mika's bloody face and about Psycho Joe, and then the follow-up tweet. Did you see the one where the? Well, CNN- first of all, my I, maybe people know about this, but when my husband was listening to our WSB show, where I said, "Like I'm putting my foot down, and I'm not talking about Trump's stupid personal tweets. Like I'm talking about policy, Dagnabbit." Right. My husband said he had no idea what we were talking about with the Mika 
So well, that's, why don't you that's recap? fantastic. I know. I was so I'm glad everybody I, wasn't consumed with it. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't focusing on it. So what uh, can you just give a recap yeah. on it? What happened is Trump, uh, Mika and Joe, they always I, see most people don't watch that show. It doesn't have very good. So ratings. Mika Brzezinski and Joe Scarborough have this show, a TV show called Morning Joe. And they, for some reason, recently got engaged. I think word of their affair was getting out. Yeah. And that just seemed to me like an absolute disaster for that show. I mean, who wants to see that? You know, who? I don't know. I, I just I don't think like it's it. I make the show better, to be honest with you. I, oh, I, I really? Watch, that show's terrible. It, I watch it for propaganda purposes. Yeah. But the times when Mika and Joe fight like a couple. Like really aggressively, that's that's the time when it's really entertaining is when they're doing that. Of course, then then it's like Jerry Springer almost, but that's the only time it really becomes kind of all right watch, so to speak. So maybe that is not a a good show, a ratings move. I don't know, but that was the show on which there was Hidden Mike that Principal Skinner has a radio show and he put out Harry Shearer, one of those guys, put out this leaked audio where during the campaign where these guys are all like uh, slapping Trump on the back for his great debate performance. And Mika asks him if she can ask him a question about deportation on their show when it came back from commercial break. And he said, no, nothing too hard. She said, okay, so no question. He said, no. So she totally colluded to help him look good. I mean, they absolutely tried their hardest to get this guy presented in the best possible light he owes them big time. Right. And yes. And I I would, I think that they probably do that for, see, I think they're colluding with everybody. And I think that you do too, to not Ron Paul. Well, they're not colluding with Ron Paul. You're right. They did not at at the commercial break say, Oh, Dr. Paul, what questions do you want us to ask? Yes, They're (laughs) absolutely not colluding with Ron Paul. They were kneeing him in the, groyal area it's other than ron paul the only reason any of these politicians (laughs) go on any television show is to get the type of publicity that they can use to help them further their purpose whether that is bad or whether it's good yes yes agreed that's so if if, as long as the people they go to they go to visit on their shows agree to do that they will continue to get access i believe that one of the things that yeah they don't want to lose their access one of the things that what's his name the guy who who writes about the education system we've talked about him a lot john taylor ghetto Yes, he he talks about one of the things that they study in some of these private private co- or some of these really expensive colleges and uh, privately private education boarding schools is how to gain access to places is like access to power, which is uh, I think very interesting. That's what a, what a great thing to know how to do. What a, an incredible skill to learn from the time you're a kid into the time you're adult is how to get access into to powerful people yeah. and you know to powerful institutions. Uh, be a fantastic course to teach everyone, but give gives them a clear advantage. Anyway, basically they tw- they they bash Trump all the time. They call him a fascist. They do whatever. It's all drama. They're just trying to be a part of the drama so they can get ratings. All this stuff does is is it diverts attention away from any of the complicated stuff or the policy issues that they can they can go do all that stuff behind closed doors while the public focuses on you know was Mika's chin actually bleeding or not? Yeah. So what I actually don't know what what was the fir- who threw the first punch? What Mika was the tweeted first- something about Trump's. Well, hands and I, I mean the first punch you could argue has been going on for months because every time you turn okay. that show on mika is saying mika just saying personal like yes tacky irrelevant personal things yeah they <laughs> mika is pretty i can't stand it she i does can't that all the time so it's not if we're looking at it object you know from a, a distance and where i'm assuming that they both you know this helped both of them 
this little instance. Definitely. It I think it was Trump's wedding present to them. Right. They might have talked to each other. Yeah, this is a guy who wrote a book about how two things are great. Any PR, it doesn't matter if it's good or bad. Right. And if it's presented as being real instead of an ad, then it's much more powerful. Absolutely. So, so, so she said he has small hands, and he said yeah. she got a facelift. Yeah, and he tweeted the thing about her having you know blood on her face. Okay, facelift. when she went to his Christmas party at his house in Mar-a-Lago, or like some party in December. I mean, that there was a picture snuck out, which Corey wrote some about this truth dar boy who I put on um, put this article on our website, Propaganda Report Daily. That they were there. It was like a grainy photo from far away, but they were totally partying with those guys and it made it look very chummy. So I feel like part of his tweet saying she she, you know, bloodied up my party and uh, I, I don't even know why she came. I hate her. <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> Seemed like just a way to make it not seem so so just gloss over the fact that she was at his party. Right. He he was making it look like they were trying to it was them who were trying to get access to him. And he was like, her face was bloody. No, I told him no. And then they made it sound like it was him trying to get them to come over. And then they actually even accused him of blackmail at one point, saying that the Trump White House was mm -hmm. calling them, saying that we can get this thing that the National Enquirer is going to release about your, you know, your affairs. We can get it removed if you just stop, like, if you just stop talking bad about me. That is so ridiculous, by the way. The, the president has a just say nice, just say nice things about me. I'll kill this story at the Enquirer. That is so ridiculous. And, then the and he's probably guy, did he respond to it the way he responded to the Comey thing? Comey said, "Oh, he demanded my loyalty," and Trump says. That's not how I demand loyalty. I do something a little different. It was like, what? You, yeah, his you know, answer like, was different. I, yeah, I don't his know answer how he was weird, and it makes it sound like that is something I would do, but it isn't what I did. But the thing is, the story never published that they're referring to. So how could he be blackmailing? Well, maybe it worked. Yeah, oh, maybe yeah, they it maybe they backed off. Maybe yeah. this was part of it. I, I don't know. But the, then the story there became, because for one evening, we found out that Trump is – some people already knew this. Trump was friends with the guy who runs the National Enquirer whose last name is Pecker. Oh, so yeah. I, I seriously – I watched CNN for like 10 minutes after this story broke, and it was like, Trump's Pecker threatened Mika. You know, just stuff like that. Like they're saying these innuendos that are just clearly – They like, literally dug that guy up just to use his – I, I sometimes like worry about Anthony Weiner if they just like – made him a rising star just so they could exploit was his... one of them was like trump and pecker tightly bonded i'm like oh my <laughs> gosh give me a break they've been intertwined for years so what the, are you kidding me <laughs> i did see one of those and, and okay so that's basically the whole thing that happened then trump who always doubles down always people get outraged media gets outraged what does trump do he doubles down he does that same thing every single time now his double down this time was he tweeted again saying that joe is basically calling joe stupid or whatever and then he tweeted out somebody made uh somebody put a cnn gif like a cnn logo over the head of vince mcmahon like we've talked about him doing oh, the wwe wrestling and not trump whose face got blotted out with a cnn logo yeah, it was, yeah, and Trump was beating up CNN, so that that was the thing. That's what led to this whole thing that people are talking about today. 
where yes. <laughs> okay. it's so, violence, it's outrage. I want to get back to the Mika thing, though. Are you finished with that? I want to get back to that. But first, let's talk about this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, that's not even what I'm concerned with. I just want to point out a couple ratings things. Oh, yes. Okay, hold on, though. Before you move on from the – okay, so there was this – this is the thing that's driving me crazy. So last week <clears throat> on the WSB show – you basically, it's a radio show where people call in. So you want to talk about what people are already talking about, or they don't have the nerve, you know, like they don't, it takes a lot to get people to call. You want them to be interested in it, think they understand it, whatever, want to talk about it. So you can't, you can't make it a lecture or podcast. So you want to talk about what's in the news. It's just the way it works. And it's, I'm fine with it. But last week I just couldn't do it. I mean, what people were talking about was this tweet about me the band-aid on Mika's chin I mean I just couldn't I just couldn't do it this week so I mean I just you know I've reached the end of my limits and uh then I talked about something deep that libertarians you know have different viewpoints on immigration and uh this I didn't like Kate's law that was passed last week by the house and all that kind of stuff like there was nuances I get absolutely viciously brutalized on Twitter. I, I would, no matter what position I came out on, I would have been. But if you stick to this like goofy light stuff, there's no, you know, you get no headache. So it's a, it's a pity. But this week, I think I'm going to have the same problem because I just opened Fox News to see what what's the, I consider that the fluff, you know, what's the fluffy stuff that's going on. And, uh, and the entire my screen, my laptop screen is completely full of this story. Extremely unethical, it says. Critics say CNN may have committed crime with, quote, threat to meme creator. And there's a picture of Ted Cruz. I don't know why. There's yeah, one, because two, he's three. the one arguing that what they did is they threatened an individual. CNN threatened an, okay. in, an individual citizen. All right. So there's three, six, seven, eight headlines uh, next to it. Cruz warns network on threat to out meme maker. Fallout over President Trump's CNN body slam video tweet. 20-year-old woman gets hateful tweets for cleaning Trump's Hollywood star. CNN accused of blackmailing man who created Trump GIF or GIF? Whatever. I don't Graphic. know. GIF. Trump's Twitter smackdown of CNN, his most retweeted post. Donald Trump and the WWE, a history. Oh, Thanks, guys. I've been talking about that for years. Like, if you right. wanted to get rid of Trump, just play some of those videos. Uh, have you seen the other guys? Dems mocked for slogan pitches. I don't know what that one is. Um, so one, two, three, four, five, six. The six headlines is about a tweet of a GIF or GIF, whatever, of like a one-second video of a guy, McMahon or Trump, I don't even know who it is, with a CNN logo as a head in a wrestling situation. Yes, yeah, so Trump beating up CNN. Is it, so the story is he's promoting violence. That's the story from CNN side. Okay, but as a logo head, it's not a real person. How about all the WWE stuff that they were actually doing? I mean, no, just ignoring that aspect of the whole story. It's just so stupid. But the fact that this is everything that's that's here, like the entire my screen is full of this. I just, I'm exasperated. Right. I'm exasperated. And, and, I, and this is, you know, the Fourth of July. I'm sitting there like a little frustrated that these people are falling for whatever. Uh, freedom as security, but this is just insanity. 
I mean, it's how you get people to not ask questions, like critical questions about the North Korea thing, about Syria, about the Russia relation, not the Russia collusion, about the relationships, <laughs> right. the He's complex to set of relationships. This is how you prevent people from spending any critical thought time on Who? the more serious issues you have to answer this question i used to be an investment banker and literally like if there if there was something that made me not good at it it's that i could not read the newspaper even like the wall street journal or whatever to me it was bs to me since the day i was born my father would be like this stuff these are socialist rags it's like but this one's republican it's like it's a socialist rag (laughs) like okay i was actually forbidden in my school on Tuesdays, they used to have the New York times had the science times on Tuesday. And we were, that was the only time we ever read the newspaper. We would have to sit in class and read the science times. My father told them I was not permitted and that I had to sit in the hallway while they did it. So (laughs) isn't that funny? Like there's a Jewish kid. It was a Catholic school who used to leave class during religion I had to leave class during the New York Times science section. That's hilarious. <laughs> Isn't that funny? So obviously I have absolutely no faith. I never had any faith in the news. But at, at this level of silliness, I mean, even I, I do get sucked in. Like if I'm sitting in the doctor's office, I can read a people magazine. I don't know what kind of crack they put on the pages of that thing. But I have never met anyone who couldn't maybe my dad, but who couldn't flip through the pages of a people. I just never met anyone. I don't know what's wrong with it. It does. Some, it's got some kind of, we probably get this implant at birth to like McDonald's and read the people. And read the New York times. <laughs> it's, but who's liking this? Who, who's like, this is the front page of Fox. It's 10. This is conflict. This is what, this is what they, this is what Littman, this is what Bernays, this is what they talk about. But it's not a real conflict. It's, it is literally well, a logo. It's, it's not a, a real logo. conflict, but it represents the real conflict, you know, and this is what they talk about. But the, but the conflict it represents is also not a real conflict. <laughs> Yeah, and and you know, once you dig down deep into the rabbit hole, people start to see that. But at the surface, as stupid as it is, one side is the enemy, the other side is the good guy, and Trump is the good guy on one side, he's the enemy on the other, and the whole the whole thing with the Littman and and Bernays and everybody who's ever you know been part of these propaganda organizations, the thing is. We have to take sides. That's Brene's quote exactly. We have to take sides. We have to step into yep. the ring. We have to identify with one simple representation of good, and we have to identify one That's, simple representation mm-hmm. of evil, and we have to participate through these these the side that we identify with. So the way that we get our our bloodlust out, so to speak, is to is to you know point and say, "Ha, CNN's a loser. Ha, ha, Trump is a is a devil." Or it's like, and and that's how they hit these stereotypes that we. Well, been that could explain why I had said why I always get a terribly hard time with the immigration topic because it's super complex, and right. I totally respect and understand both sides of the argument from a libertarian perspective, you can either say, I will take any freedom I can get. You also have to, you always have to defend every single marginal freedom, even no matter what. So you can have a totally unfree society, a welfare state, a warfare state, a tax state, whatever the border can be, you know, open borders is just one way. Like they're saying people can get in, but you can't get out. You try to get out and take your money with you. They keep your money. So it's so it's not an open it's not a free society. So even a libertarian can say, hey, we live in a cage and we need to think about, you know, the best way to get out of it, not just 
every single time, like the Koch brothers says, you know, look, the libertarian answer is this, accept it. You know, I think you can, you can really have an interesting, honest debate and people can come out on either side, whether you take the open borders, even in this unfree society, or you fight to stop spreading refugees and terrorism and Chen, most important change the, you know, take all those weird labor laws that keep Americans from, from taking those jobs. Like you can go through that thought process, but I get viciously abused. Maybe we can talk about this. Oh, but, oh, but here's the conclusion is that like the report from Iron Mountain, which is about war, it emphasizes that you have to have that the, the critical element of war and it is what is reflected in society and it's no mistake is that there are two sides there can only be two sides and there always have to be two sides yes and that remind me what i was going to say earlier a lot of that book that you're describing is based in machiavelli the prince that, yeah. that is his like fundamentals all of that stuff that is echoed in the report on iron mountain it's not like that's not a new philosophical political thought that's that's like the model that type of model that's just more applied to modern circumstances in the report on iron mountain that's the model that these elites have followed for centuries it's probably from the art of war yeah there are similar sentiments in the art of war so even when people say it's a hoax or whatever whatever whether you think it's a hoax it's undeniable that this has been a part of political philosophy almost since the beginning of time and, but but the funny thing is it can actually be devoid of content <laughs> you know it could literally be red versus blue yes because yes, you look yes, at yes, hillary and trump is. and i would say Either one could have been either thing. I mean, Hillary's nickname was exactly. Hillary. <laughs> you know, she could have been red or blue. This takes us back to the CNN story. Their political gender was not assigned at birth, so they are fluid. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yes, yes, yes. Fluid political gender. I like that. So, so let's do a little more Joe. Okay, yeah, the only thing I have left with You with know it's there, against my principles to talk about this, though, right? Well, I, I told you the other day, <laughs> this is like that propaganda at the surface. So we can talk about it as a way, of, you know, we're, we're dissecting it or uh, analyzing it. I know, it, but remove I, just, that, remove I feel that like I'm getting there. sucked in. But I, I think that, I mean, my only point is, like, I tweeted right after this happened, and this isn't any, you know, keen insight or anything. I think it's pretty obvious. We talk about it all the time. But this this benefits both of them. Immediately, you see the story, and both of them benefit from this because Trump, he gets to control what people are talking about again, which means we're talking about something else. And for Mika and Joe, who have terrible ratings, it's going to make their ratings go up. And so I followed up on that, and I found out from, I believe it was... Nelson ratings, Morning Joe's ratings were up nearly 70% from the quarterly average on Friday, which is the day after, which is the day they came and gave their, their retort to what Trump tweeted about them. To me, they, they didn't go on their vacation because they had to come no. back to Morning no. Joe. Yeah, they were going to no. go. I think it might have even been part of their like honeymoon, <laughs> if I recall. But they, we didn't go on our vacation to do this. Because, we came back. Oh my- Gosh, ratings oh up seventy percent. How do even people factor. not see that? It's so stupid. They didn't go on their vacation, which may or may not ever have actually existed. They were number this, one. You can't. You can't. Uh. <laughs> it was the best thing that happened to them. Of course, I did tweet at one point, even though I was trying to avoid the su- subject, that it was the greatest PR stunt I've in my memory, and that it was probably wedding present. 
Absolutely. I'm it, not the only person who thought of that. Though, people right. like, yeah. and, and I encourage anybody, I doubt we have anybody who's like way, way left listening, but Mika, I mean, it couldn't have been better for them to. Mika and Joe were the darlings uh, of the news for about three or four days. Oh, it's still yeah. kind of hard today. And Joe with his colored history. With Psycho Joe, yeah, with dead intern found in his office, Joe. I have a video I put up from about six, seven months ago where I, I, I cut it specifically because Joe and Donnie Deutsch, who recently challenged Trump to a street fist fight in the Bronx <laughs> on television, they are both talking about Jeffrey Epstein and his connections to Hillary. I mean, they, they talked about this and they talked about how the media is working to working to cover up the connections with Epstein. I just wonder how people who love Joe right now because he is Trump's enemy feel about the fact that he is on their show, one of the actually few mainstream media people to bring up Bill and Hillary Clinton's connections to Epstein. One of the few shows to do that. I was really surprised when they did it. That's why I cut and edited the video of it together. So these people just play whatever's going to be able to, you know, it's all self-interested yeah, yeah. propaganda. Is all yeah, because is. Joe was, I didn't know this until you told me, he was a Republican congressman, right? Yeah. Who his intern was found dead in the office and they said it was like an aneurysm. They said she the fainted and hit her head. Oh, blunt force trauma. I believe that was the final. Whoa. Wow. And the medical examiner that examined the body had a checkered past. He had already lost his license. Where was in, it? Really? It was in Florida where this happened. I think he had already lost his license. I can't remember the state. It might have been Colorado because he had given the wrong cause of death previously mm -hmm. in another case. And mm -hmm. I believe he lost his license again a few years after this. So wow. the guy who determined the cause of death, very shady guy. And yeah. Joe came out and said that this woman had a history of like amnesia or not amnesia, <laughs> of, of epilepsy, of, oh. yeah, of epilepsy, oh. of falling down and that she had right. health problems, which turned out not to be true. Oh, really? Is that what ended his political career? I don't know what ended his career. Okay. I, I, I just, I, he apparently talks about it when it's brought up. I haven't looked up any of the videos of it or not, but that's why, yeah. that's why Trump said psycho Joe. That's, that's where the psycho oh, comes really? from, in my opinion. Yeah. All right. Well, listen to this, which was in the newspaper today, uh, Wall Street Journal, notable and quotable. This is Brent Badowski writing at the Hill on June 29th, June 29th. So I guess that was last week. Watching the latest vulgar and sexist outburst of Donald Trump, who temporarily occupies the Oval Office and has now turned his foul mouth against Mika Brzezinski, let me suggest an idea that is offered very seriously. Joe Scarborough, who is a serious and principled conservative, even if he makes too many snide comments about liberals from the Upper East Side and Georgetown, <laughs> should enter the GOP primaries and run against Trump in oh the 2020 presidential campaign. While the thought of former President Trump someday glued to the television watching CNN and MSNBC and then writing angry, vulgar tweets about future President Joe Scarborough and his first lady, Mika, has its own appeal, the idea of a principled conservative replacing by succeeding an unprincipled vulgarian should have even greater appeal to Republicans who will vote in 2020 primaries. Scarborough is a serious man. He served in the House of Representatives as a Republican and conservative 
and has a body of knowledge and experience that far surpasses any understanding of policy and issues that Trump will ever possess. So there is an ad, Joe Scarborough's first campaign ad. Now, who wrote that again? Uh, Brent Budowski, as opposed to Budinsky, I guess, writing at thehill.com June 29th. Wow. That's all I got on that story. It's just a propaganda PR move is all it is. Okay. So... So should I tell you my libertarian stuff? I don't know. If yes, I'm just yes. Keep about your libertarian stuff. The libertarian stuff about immigration. Yeah. They specifically, they make this stuff emotionally charged. They, they fill it exactly. with – Exactly. They, they give people one or two sides. Take this side <laughs> or that side, and they just fill it with emotion. So when you don't fall on one side or the other, it triggers these emotional responses. Let me, that, t- let me read this. I wrote a really, really well thought out argument about the libertarian, libertarian immigration conundrum and people like call me a racist, which made no sense whatsoever. So I went back and I wrote like an apology, apology, whatever, like an introduction to the article saying like, no, 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 I'm just, I'm just making an argument. So let me read you the introduction to my introduction. Uh, I said, uh, I wrote this original article without realizing how contentious and emotional an issue immigration is in the libertarian community. I find libertarians have an economic cast of mind, and I tend to address issues in a highly analytical way that I think is easily understood. After I wrote this, however, I found that the immigration issue really brings out emotions in everyone, including libertarians, likely because so much human suffering is at stake. Uh so I figured it was because it happened to be an, a very human issue. You know, I was writing that like I couldn't understand why libertarians all of a sudden, I mean, you can always count on libertarians to just, you know, be bean counters, you know, or I, I am anyway. I'm just black and white. Anyone who embraces it, I'm an anarcho-capitalist. There's no gray in my field of vision at all. Like I am, I'm like, oh, this doesn't work. I don't want it. <laughs> you know, like limited government is a utopian fantasy. I'm done. And I just wanted to explain how, because we don't live in a libertarian society, there are other considerations that people might want to weigh in their here and now. And people were mean to me. Super mean. They called you racist. So it was kind of like a moral outrage thing as opposed to people saying, getting outraged, saying that that's not libertarian. Every single possible. Yeah. I mean, I got everything like, oh, how could you? want the state to solve a problem, you know, I'm like, but it's a state, you know, whatever. Um, the state creates a problem and then the state solves it. You know, I mean, that's not a good model, but I mean, that's, I, I can get into the nuances of that, but I got that argument. I got your racist, the filthy stench of racism is all over your site, <laughs> which is, could not be further from the truth. Uh, not to mention my own personal family background is as uh, just a hodgepodge of undesirables. Like, I don't know who, you know, who my husband's Puerto Rican grandfather is more American than my grandparents. So um, more native, I should say. Uh, they all love the country which they got here. Um, then there was what would Jesus, you, you know, Jesus would never do this. Keep the people out. I'm like, okay, Jesus could end poverty with a thought. Like that is not, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, don't tell me, you know what Jesus would do. Uh, what were some of the other arguments? Um, oh, you're a coward. You're just afraid of something. Brown people. I don't even know. 
which I guess is more racism. I'm afraid of getting your job taken away. I'm like, I'm not so, afraid of uh, ever, you're anything. A coward. You know, I'm taught that's what I'm saying. Like it was just name calling the entire right. I was like, but I just explain you know, you can disagree with me. I actually the first shows I ever did on liber- on immigration on my WSB show were totally for open borders. And you can find tons of books that talk about lower crime rates. They're harder workers. Um, they're for years. It used to be this way anyway. For like ten years, they can't get welfare or anything, but they have to pay taxes. I mean, in a in a in a free society, it's exactly what you want. And if demographics and technology change the makeup of the country and draw people in, it's awesome. It's great. I love it. I love everything about the diversity. I love the whole darn thing. Then I saw, and I still love it. I mean, there's no period, just period. However, <laughs> I believe that the powers that be, there. I have a book on my desk called Coercive Engineered Migration, that it is absolutely a fact that governments use migration, the world government guys, they use migration in order to achieve their world government purposes in, in several ways. And it plays into their goal. So these, this isn't natural migration. It's blowing up countries. It's blowing up our labor market. It's actually hiring non-governmental organizations to take huge groups of people from one country where their village got blown up and putting it in middle America. These aren't people who want to come here. They're not people who are interested in integrating. It's, it's people who are forced here because we blew up their country, which isn't good for them. It's not good for their country. It's not good for us. It's not, it's just, it's not, natural or organic. And I feel like to just go to the mat for open borders without actually discussing how that allows governments to weaponize people is, you know, it's, it's a little shallow that you actually have to go through. So I have like my four points. If you want to hear them, I have a good friend from Sweden they, she's in college there and it's very hard to get housing. It's notorious. You can read all these problems that Sweden's having with housing. They're having problems with whatever they, they talk about violence. You know, I don't, I don't know, but they have a lot of Somalian and Iraqi immigrants. They might have Syrians now too. I think they have Syrians now too. Okay. There is a civil war going on in Ukraine, a civil war. That means a lot of people want to get out of there. A lot of people who have very similar cultural experiences to Swedes. It's that whole kind of Russian borderland. So they have like common religion or, you know, Swedes are, I think, Lutheran and mostly atheists and Ukrainians can be Russian Orthodox probably who were talking about the displaced people. And they also have like the um, uh, Greek Orthodox. Anyway, it's not perfect, but. It is a lot closer culturally. So if you have uh, Sweden, you know, you can't just swim across the Rio Grande and, oh, there are Somalians in Sweden. The government has to arrange for it. They, there's no border wall that's, gonna, <laughs> that's preventing Somalians from getting to Sweden. It's, they pay for the flights and everything. They're doing it on purpose. And they're not taking from a place nearby, which, I, I mean, am I a racist to think that it's easier to integrate a culture that's similar than it is to integrate a culture that isn't even to the point where you could actually just go back. You could go back and forth. You know, you'd have some support network. Whereas Somalians, once they get there, they are not going to be able to go 
back home, you know, without the same kind of support they got to get there in the first place. No, that's not racist at all. And, and people, they receive that information, not people, but the you know people who are been conditioned to by MSM. To think that it's the Swedish people being racist towards the Somalians, when the reality is that both groups of people have been put in circumstances that are ripe for conflict. Because there no are the, there are social norms that you learn to get used to, like queuing, <laughs> waiting on lines. That is such a function of being an English colony, <laughs> waiting on lines. So you have people from other cultures who don't understand lines. You think they're jerks because they're just globbing in front of you, <laughs> you know, and you're just like, hey, jerk, get out of the way. And they're like, Hey, woman, don't talk to me like that. I'm like, okay. So there's that. Like, there's definitely that. There's also like how women talk to men. Well, we you just identified a cultural clash between you and I. You you say it as waiting online. I know it as waiting in line. Oh, my husband yells at me for that. It's a total New York thing, and I'm not allowed to say right. online anymore. But, but you get online, uh, right? You don't so get in line, right? But that's a perfect example of like a very small difference in. Yeah. Uh, background that that. yeah yeah and and that so for me i never it, it was never even weird for me like in new york there's a lot of puerto ricans my husband um is from texas there's a lot of mexicans there in california it's a lot of chinese because that's those places were close so there was a history of migration there there were communities that could provide an anchor for the, these people and if you don't have like a welfare net a safety net when they get there, they simply have to uh, dress, you know, in a conforming way, uh, speak English, uh, contribute economically. And I don't, I don't, I'm not a conformist. I actually don't care about that. But by engaging economically, Uber is a great example. People are so, I, I've never witnessed strangers or anybody be more polite to anybody else than Ubers, Uber drivers and Uber uh clients because passengers because you rate each other immediately and it matters you can get barred if you're not nice it is an absolutely perfect scenario of of uh of being polite to each other so similarly if you want to engage economically in a community you need to make sure the people are happy with you or you will get fired. And that's the only level of conformity you actually need just to accept the cultural norms that make society function. You can live in your own community. I don't care about any of that. My point is simply that in a completely free society, an organic society where you uh, you come there because you you reject your own society, you prefer this society. You know, that's the underlying premise here anyway, is not that I'm a racist, I want you to speak English, you're coming here to engage, presumably in a free society, to engage economically. How does that work? You speak the same language and you have the same rules about waiting in line and all that stuff so that things can move quickly and efficiently and, and with prosperity. So, so one of my arguments is that uh, the welfare state has that problem where it keeps people generation after generation from engaging economically. And that's when you have these pockets of, of hate 
in Europe, like in Denmark, whatever, where you can come in and start on welfare and then your kids are born into welfare. And then you have these communities don't even speak the language ever. And then, and then they are resented by this host community that's been paying for them. And then they, they develop contempt for each other. So that's the artificial nature of the welfare state creates a problem. What is the libertarian perspective on immigration? Is there a standard agreed upon? Well, here's, here's the basic thing that I, I have had to, I, I do reject it. And um, it's kind of like the tax thing. Grover Norquist says, all, all Republicans must sign this pledge to never vote on a tax increase. But what it should have said is never vote on a spending increase. So, and Ron Paul has a rule never to vote for a tax increase and always to vote for every tax cut. But for me, when you allow that, the debt goes up and it disconnects the spending from the paying. And I, so I don't, I don't go for that. I think there should be a balanced budget and that every, every time you spend money, the taxes should go up and people pretty quickly would stop the spending. So I'm not one of those people who says, which I think even the great Murray Rothbard said, always, always, always vote for the thing that uh, is 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 a uh, free increases freedom. And with the immigration things, people interpret that to mean open borders, that letting people in is is the answer. But for me, there's another problem that. I think ultimately it reduces liberty because of this that we're seeing in South Africa right now. Okay, and that's because of a lot of the forced conflict that you were just describing. No, it's no, that's not my it's point. Not. That's not the point I'm making. The point I'm making is if you and I'm not worried about Mexico, I'm worried about Canada in this regard. If if you bring in people who are socialists, have a socialist history or are very uneducated or can't understand whatever, uh, they're not going to understand the, the source of the prosperity. And if you tie, which we do here, it makes me crazy. The right to work and travel is the libertarian position. Every individual has a right to work and travel. And any, any country in the world, any person I want to get a job from, uh, I should be able to get that. No government should be able to stop me. And that's the truth. And that is the libertarian position. However, in this country, for what reason, I don't know, it's totally subversive in my opinion. They tie the right to work and travel to citizenship and the right to vote where there should be, there's no reason for that. There's absolutely no reason for that. Voting is a way to subvert our rights and you bring people in there who don't even understand the importance of the rights in the prosperity. So South Africa ended apartheid and uh, everybody's happy. There was this, they ended a what? Apartheid. Apartheid in South Africa was when white people had rights that black people did not have. So South okay. Africa, the city, the state, country, whatever, was like an oasis of white people in a black continent. And it was overtly racist or South Africans will tell you it was tribal. And they and it was, uh, you know, people boycotted them and they ended it. So. When when the other tribes basically came in, they, it looks to me, they did not really understand the source of the prosperity. 
So racism or non-racism, whatever, didn't wasn't really the source of the prosperity. The source of the prosperity was capitalism and property rights. I, I don't know much about South Africa, but I just know the source of any prosperity is capitalism and property rights. So now South Africa just announced they might redistribute land or you know nationalize people's property and stuff like that because they're having crises. Because they went in and they didn't understand the source of the prosperity were these basic economic principles. And they thought it was exploitation, which it may have been in many ways. There might have been slave type relationships or exploitive wage relationships, whatever. But you have to understand the things that actually allow wealth to accumulate and um, motivate people to, to produce. So if you have people come in, uh, so Justin Amash is a congressman. He's the only Republican who voted against these two immigration laws. And I agree with him. These immigration laws are not right. Kate's law, which increases prison time for illegal immigrants. I do not want to support them for 25 years in U.S. jails. So I don't like that one. And the other one is no sanctuary for criminals, which makes local governments, uh, penalizes local governments for not enforcing federal laws. So he voted against them based strictly on the Constitution. And his constituents hate him. They're like, he's Palestinian. He's got to go. It's like he's a Palestinian, like Orthodox Christian or something. But they have a problem with them, I guess. And and so half the argument was that the other half of the argument was constituents. You need to care about your constituents. Now, the constituents are the people who vote for you. So is he supposed to vote for what his constituents want if it violates the Constitution? You know, he said, no, he said, I am here. I took an oath to the Constitution. I am here to defend it. But that's what we've come to. So if you have constituents, new constituents who you know, we're devolving into an actual democracy where it's just the votes that can change the foundational laws. Those foundational laws are what produce our prosperity. So if you if you don't have people like Justin Amash and he's the only one, you've got one guy like that, it's not enough, who's defending the Constitution, then people's votes are very, I mean, I don't think my individual vote is powerful, but to, to get blocks of people you can manipulate, blocks of people you let in, and then give them amnesty uh, and then get them, you know, to vote and mass for the guy who gave him amnesty. I mean, I had a cleaning lady who Reagan gave amnesty. She was here. She got her citizenship from Ronald Reagan is what she says. And I will vote Republican to the day I die. That's what she said. And that's how they think. And so if constituency matters more than the Constitution, you have a problem when if you had, say, truly open borders where you literally had like a billion people come in, you know what I'm saying? It, wouldn't it be like a billion people would come in, don't you think? You know, like water seeping yeah, its own level, spread, you know? If it were spread, they could get in. Yeah, it would. Yeah, uh, any place that has about- lower per capita income would, and, and I, and I, and if they, if they, if they, I am absolutely open to suffering the consequences of being a less efficient, less hard worker. However, we have other screwed up things that w- that create that vacuum, and I'll get to that next. Do they reframe the constitutional argument to support open immigration, or are people saying the Constitution is outdated? You see what I mean? Uh, yes. I... 
not, I didn't see anybody argue on the merits of his constitutional argument. I did not see that. It was all, uh, you're bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're bad. They weren't even saying the Constitution is wrong. They were saying what they usually say. I've had plenty of arguments like that. What they usually say is in the very end, if you really push them, whether they're Republican or Democrat, they will say, this is too important. It's too urgent. Don't split hairs about the Constitution. We got to okay. stop the you know, radicals or whatever. But that's crazy to me. It, that's what they because they're scared. Right, because their propaganda makes them scared. Because I was thinking about it the other day, and there are, and you just mentioned someone you know, there are people that are affected by immigration and what's going on right now. But the average person who is outraged about this has probably not even really been personally affected by anything that's going on. There, there are, don't get me wrong. There are a well, lot of people that have, but Kate Steinle, who is murdered supposedly by this guy, the official story is absolutely not, uh, <laughs> doesn't hold water. That guy had been in jail in federal prison for 15 years for illegal reentry to the point where I think he was coming in just to go to jail. And his last, the last judge said that he needed to be in a mental institution in San Francisco, they were going to deport him after his 15 years, like three, five-year sentences. And, the, and they said to San Francisco, hey, we've got to clear out his file. He has this 20-year-old marijuana charge. Can we just you know, toss it? And the guy said, the sheriff of San Francisco, which for no apparent reason said, no, 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 we want that guy. So they sent him up there. And then they discovered that they no longer prosecute $20 marijuana charges, which was what it was. And then the deportation guy said, hey, you know, when you're ready to let him go, just tell us and we'll come get him. And they didn't. They did not tell him, even though the sanctuary city law allows for that. They just don't allow you to keep him in jail for no other reason. But he was in jail for this. He was, at, you know, whatever. It was fine. So they just let him out. You know, it, the whole thing smacks of a complete like false flag psyop thing. Yeah, it really. Does. But my point is, Kate's law doesn't solve that problem. Fox News, as I told you, they scrubbed that video. It really made me so mad. Said repeatedly, there's no penalty for illegal reentry. Can you believe that? Yeah, yeah, buddy. I can't believe it. No, I can't believe it either. Completely, completely wrong lie, false lie. They, they're, those, they were um, in there. So, it does, so yes, people are perhaps not affected, but these laws, Kate's law, isn't about criminal illegals you know like illegals who commit crimes it's not it doesn't address that at all it simply addresses being here illegally now if you're here illegally and you commit a crime i think it can add like 25 years to your sentence and to me this folds right into the pattern i've been noticing for two years now since the new york prison escape which was also fishy sounding that they're filling up the prisons and Jeff Sessions, who, you know, I want to like him, but he is so that, right. that what they're doing, they're focusing on immigration, they're focusing on drugs, and they're focusing on illegal gun possession. All of these things are not inherently uh, violent crimes. They're not crimes against person or property. They're simply prohibited crimes. They're crimes because the government says they're crimes, because those are the things that people really do. Raping, murdering, 
kidnapping people that not too many people do those kind of crimes. You could not fill up the prisons with those kind of people. But if you have this endless stream of illegals and you're on the take from the prisons, you're going to leave the border open. This guy, every single time he crossed the border, he was caught and sent to jail every single time. This Kate Steinle case every single time. So border security is was a, was good enough. And if you're going to increase that, that's great. You do not need to import millions of people. I think immigration is the number one <laughs> cause of incarceration, that and drugs in this country. And it's just a scam. But the prison system, private prisons are so corrupt. Right. And that's all the stuff that the propaganda angle of this causes people not to look into. You know, not all people, but the majority of a mainstream audience, The Kate, to, to them, Kate's Law is symbol and emotional trigger that determines how they feel about well, the immigration argument. So they only see the bad thing that happened. They see an immigrant did it. They hear the way it, the, the rhetoric on television, and it's, we have to stop this. It creates yes. an emotional response. And you saw how Tucker Carlson treated the Cato guy, the libertarian oh, yeah. guy. So, so I do take the libertarian position. I, I agreed with the Cato guy. But Tucker Carlson, he was saying, no, this, this wouldn't solve that problem. And Tucker, he's just not very good yet anyway. He's just like, to, he lost his cool. He didn't know what to say. And he's like, you're just an open borders. Uh, you know, he, he might as well have said, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, it's too, I, I would say racial slurs, but he was like uh, accusing him of just loving, you know, just w wanting to like, be this hyper liberal, um, bleeding heart, open borders. And this guy's like, no, it's just an insane waste of money yeah. put to actually import people <laughs> to put in jails. And for me, those people will never get out because their families aren't here. They don't speak English. You know what I mean? It's like this extremely vulnerable population yeah. who, if you started incarcerating, we incarcerate more people than any, any civilization in history, I think. But if you started incarcerating more Americans, I mean, I, I know blacks have hardly a fighting chance in any kind of like drug crime or whatever, which nonviolent, they still go to jail way more than other people. But even in that case, eventually people will push back on it. It just cannot get so out of control because you do have family. There is in numbers, some kind of power. But if you, if you just pull in immigrants, it's just this endless stream of clients, you know, for this prison industrial complex so I'm against those laws, but I, I can't help but but point out that the immigration thing can be a setup for the libertarians. Yeah, you were about to go into that a moment oh, ago. Yeah, the, so the most important thing, the most important thing is the labor laws here. So we have, we have uh, people say, well, welfare is no good. Welfare, you have to eliminate the welfare state because immigrants will come over uh, to get welfare. And I, I don't know if that's true or not. I have seen it happen, and I've also seen the opposite happen much more, that they're really here just to work. And what happens is we have this welfare floor. Some I, I think it's kind of a, a suspect study, but at one point there was a study that in Connecticut, if you make under $40,000 a year, you're better off like just being on the dole, taking every source of, of income. And what that does is to set a floor like that, uh, a wage floor, you know, welfare floor, whatever, that 
tens of millions of Americans are being paid not to work. So, and then, and then another thing is uh, college. College gives, the federal government subsidizes people regardless of their major. So all of a sudden you have these people in a lot of debt who can't get jobs when they get out. And if they go into like public service, government work, or whatever, they can get some loan forgiveness. So it really just sucks all these people up into college, up out of the workforce, everything. And, and you have this absolute vacuum of labor uh, from the skilled, skilled labor because you have college kids taking the wrong things and unskilled labor because you have this welfare floor. And, and what happens then, whether it's legal or illegal, the immigration, people are always going to flood in to take those jobs. I mean, it, this is not an inherently wrong thing to do. It is not against your conscience to cross a border and take a job from somebody who wants to give you a job. There's nothing wrong with that. You have the right to work and travel and you know it in your heart. So you're not going to take, you're not going to police yourself. You're going to do it, especially if it means feeding your kids. So if you have this labor problem, if you have this labor vacuum, you create this this sucking sound, you know, of people uh, from, you know, not just south of the border, north of the border, across the oceans coming in to take all of these jobs that if we simply had a free market for labor and education, a free market, not free, <laughs> not free college, not that, <laughs> a free market for labor and education, you would... Uh, Americans would take those jobs. Uh, it would relieve our welfare burden. And then if technology changes or demographics change and you need people from other countries, you, you would get them. It would be a natural, organic uh, rate of immigration, except for, and this is my next point. You ready? The suspense is killing me. <laughs> well, you cut out there for a second. Okay, so the... The problem, the reason that, that that alone, that would, in my opinion, solve the problem. But, but the, because there just wouldn't be enough work for people. Free labor and education market would solve the problem? A free market for labor and education yeah. would solve the problem because people would come over and there wouldn't be work for them and then they would go. So one of my great-grandparents did come over and then he went back. He left my grandmother in an orphanage and he went back. I don't know why he went back, culture, or I don't know why. But he went back and uh, he left your grandmother at an orphanage. Yes. So he he and his wife came over from Damascus, Syria. They were Orthodox Christians or Coptic Christians, something like that. Hey, now, who was this? My father's mother. Her, her parents. I, I, so, I, I thought she said that your grandfather left your grandmother at an orphanage and then came no, over. my great grandma, like, <laughs> my great grandfather. Uh, so, so my. <laughs> So my great-grandmother was pregnant and she died in childbirth. Oh, wow. And then my great-grandfather, he had relatives here, like, um, I guess, Syrian family or whatever, but they were too poor to take the baby. And he, I don't know what the story was. I never got the answer, but he went back. There are different stories maybe that he died too, but I think the bottom line is that he went back and he left my grandmother in an Irish convent. I'm not even sure it was an orphanage, but she was raised with Irish nuns. She had like a brogue. <laughs> she was like this wow. black girl with a brogue. And uh, and she she loved them and whatever. And she had some contact. What's with a brogue? Family. A brogue is that Irish, you know, 
don't you know? Oh, okay. It's an Irish accent. It's a Scottish brogue, Irish brogue. So she had a brogue. And uh, and he went back, though, because he could, there was no – he didn't go on welfare. I don't know why. Culture clash, whatever. He went back. So uh, so, so basically you, it wouldn't yeah. be such a desirable thing. If there's no welfare, if there's no safety net and you come over here and there are no jobs, you're going to go back. However, you it's it's human beings who create jobs anyway. So if they came over and they really wanted to carve out a place for themselves, they could and they would they would by definition make this society, this country richer. And we have the land. We have the land. Everybody on earth I think could have 1200 square feet in Texas. There's some like crazy thing like that. We have yeah, I saw land. Jim Mars, I believe. Say something like that. Uh, yeah, he said he might have got it from somebody else too. But, you can't. Uh, I mean, so so uh, that's when you start with like the real libertarian open borders conversation, and I am well equipped to have that because there's no like moral reason to keep them out. You don't own land you don't own, you know. So if you don't let them on your land, which is another thing, like if we, uh, if we. The, our government has taken away from us our private property rights, our strict, absolute private property rights. So you can't just say, well, don't let them on your land. You have to let them on your land. And if you want to exercise strict private property rights, ask David Koresh what happens. They don't allow it. Even if Texas would allow it, the feds came into Texas and burnt that place to the ground because this guy said, I have absolute right to protect my own property. You know, the Waco. What was his name again? You said David Crash? Crash. Of I think his name is David Crash. In Waco, he had the Branch Davidian compound that Clinton raised to the ground and killed everybody inside because they were uh, stockpiling weapons for defense. They just they just had a compound. They protected it themselves. They didn't hurt anybody. So, but here but here's the problem. So Right. So that's why, so you don't have control over your own borders of your own private property. So what borders can you control? You know, then you have to buy, you don't have to, but I'm just saying there's an argument to be made that the only borders you can control are the state's borders. If you could control your own borders with absolute, uh, absoluteness, that would be an argument against having any say whatsoever in the borders, but they take that right away from you. But, but here's the other problem, like just fixing the labor laws. I do think that would be enough. Actually, that would be enough. But one thing I think we should do under any circumstances is stop the economic and military assault on other countries. We destroy other countries, people who are perfectly Fine, living in their huts, you know, people who would be poor enough to travel and immigrate if they wanted to are fine. They don't care until we blow them up and spread right. this problem. It makes it unlivable, right? And then we got to take them because it's our fault. <laughs> no, that makes perfect sense. So that's another problem. Like, so if people say, "Do you want to close the borders?" On the show on th Saturday, I answered the guy's question. He said, "Do you believe in open borders?" I said, "No." But I used to not fall for that trick. I used to say, I'm not answering that question until you uh, join me in my uh, insistence that we stop bombing other countries. <laughs> you know, I'm not answering your question until you tell me 
that you will join my efforts in stopping us from bombing Syria. So is that how you answer when you get asked what your position is on immigration? I used to because it's a trick. It's a trick. Yeah. You're it's right. A trick it is for a libertarians trick. to say for for them to say, "Are you open borders or closed borders?" Like I'm for a free society. A free society would include open borders and not bombing Syria. Yeah. So your solution to the borders question is, well, my solution is fix the labor laws, stop destroying other countries, and then no borders. Right. Is that correct? That is exactly right. And really, truly, no borders. There, you wouldn't need borders. I'm an anarcho-capitalist. I only want the borders of my own property. So you would like a solar paneled, big, beautiful wall around your own. <laughs> solar power is a government invention, a government plot. That's no, the thing. I mean, they create these tech. Yeah, I know. Trump won it. It was his idea. Yeah, it's his idea. It's a pretty good idea. <laughs> we would also have to. I would like in, in a free society, I don't need the Constitution or a Bill of Rights because that's self-evident in the self-evident law. Don't touch me or my stuff, which is the extent of it. So that's the one, that's the law right there. Don't touch me or my stuff. And all, all law, all legitimate law is an effort to tease out the subtleties of that or to resolve legitimate disputes over what's your stuff or not. So like water, you know what I mean? Like water is a funny one because do you have the right to water? You know what I mean? Is that your stuff? Because it runs yeah. through your land. Can the guy ha- on the above you take it all? Like you know that those are real questions. The origins of private property rights is very serious, legitimate legal question. But right. laws that violate your stuff are totally illegitimate, and most laws do. That's very eye-opening to me. You like that? I do. I like that. Am I going to get hate mail? I'm not going to send you any hate mail. This one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about see, I, I think if you're sending hate mail, then regardless of what your position is, you're being affected by propaganda because it's not a discussion. Right. Okay. Any form of hate mail is not somebody who's thinking rationally because even if they disagree, it, they would be asking questions and saying presenting a view as opposed to sending emotional responses to something i like to answer those because i feel like there must be a lot of other people who feel the same way and i don't want to be misunderstood and i don't understand what i didn't say right and blah 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 blah. but i actually do not advocate for open for closed borders or open borders i don't i advocate for an end to unjust war (laughs) i'm not part of this i'm not trying to i'm just saying oh i used to think open borders without uh you know without caveat or whatever but now i realize that they're using see that that's that's where it all comes back to from the beginning anyway they these policies that i described that create these migration cycles my migration patterns are 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 intentionally driven by policy i mean they they actually have a robust network of non-governmental private companies that relocate entire populations into middle America. And I personally think that is, and it's to disconnect people from their land, from their tradition, from each other. Same thing with sending your kids off to college. It's to disconnect all this stuff so that you don't have these bonds that you can use to resist an ever-increasing totalitarian government. I mean, this is really a very, like, rabbit hole. You know, the origins of my concern is that 
this is part of their effort to gain power over us. And it hurts us all. You know, it's definitely not a racial thing. It's a, because I, I was talking to an African guy who said he's going to retire when he's finished being an Uber driver and go back to Africa. I think he was in Cameroon. I, I can't remember. And, uh, and have eight wives and a farm and they do all the work because that's the way it is in Cameroon. <laughs> Something like that. Oh, please. If you're from Cameroon, maybe I got the country wrong. It eight was wives. whatever. It was totally cute and funny. And I, I really don't know, but he was like, this was his culture. He was going to go back to, he's only like 20 something and he's going to go back when he's 40. And I, and I said, Hey buddy, it's not going to be like that. When you get back, there is a concerted effort around the world to end all cultural differences. I said, uh, uh, I said, are, is there immigration into Cameroon? And he said, yeah. And I said, Chinese. He said, yeah, how'd you know? My husband said, how'd you know? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> but you hear a lot about Chinese, the, about China in Africa. There's a website I look at once in a while called China in Africa. And I don't, I, I'm not racist against Chinese or Cameroon, uh, Cameroonians. I, it's not that at all. It's just that I was thinking of what kind of culture clash, you know, would come to bear. What, the biggest Cameroon. conflict. Yeah. What could, what could be more like a crazier sounding combination than, you know, post Mao Chinese in, in, uh, Cameroon where like the, the, women are working the farms you know with their hands you know? yeah yeah i mean it just seemed so well maybe it's i, I don't it just seemed even just linguistically like they don't even have a colonial history there where people would speak french or english you know i mean it just seems so 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 the point is not about america you know it's not about that it's that, creating the most conflict right it's not, I don't think it's about, I, I think that there is the elements of conflict for sure. And I, I understand what you're saying, but I don't think, I, I think the more important thing, yes, conflict is important. It gets you to want and need governments for sure. Conflict, but simply uh, pulling the safety net. So I guess it's that same old, which thing are you more afraid of fiscal insecurity or physical insecurity? Yeah. You know, but pulling out that safety net, that community and family and tradition and an understanding how to get the most out of your land or your world or your community or, you know, having an established track record in your family of not being people who, uh, you know, deceive and if they need help, they pay it back. You know, those kind of uh, the strength of the community as a way to deal with, you know, being a human being is totally undermined by by this kind of thing where this guy, the Cameroonian came here and then, you know, Chinese people are going there and then, uh, you know, Jim Rogers moved to China <laughs> or Singapore. Like you're, you're moving around, which is fine. I mean, I'm totally, uh, I'm totally fine with it. But, but the point is when it happens artificially en masse in a very disruptive way to people who are simply running away from something and not actually seeking out the culture they are entering, you are, um, you're not going to make those community bonds stronger, at least not until they mesh. And if you're, if you don't want them to mesh, they never will mesh. So if you have like welfare communities that have never had to function economically or learn the language or anything, you are never going to have strong, you know, a strong resistance against an overarching government in any, any region.
that's it. Yeah, that that's fantastic explanation, in my opinion. Thank you. Yeah. I, I I'm telling you, I'm not you, mad at you. I'm not gonna. <laughs> I'm not gonna tweet some horrible thing at you. I mean, I don't even know what my position is. You know, like I'm not even an advocate, but I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get. I mean, I think your position is what we summed up a moment ago: stop destroying other countries, fix the labor and education laws, and then once that's done, open borders. Yeah, a free society. Uh, I wish I I advocate for a free society. Right. And that includes recognizing yes. and honoring the right to work and travel and does not include anyone having the right to vote my rights away. Voting uh, is below my, I do it. I do it because I can't resist because I'm, I can't get over that like uh, social conditioning. I absolutely do it. But I think it's dangerous for the people, you know, for like Justin Amash who tried to defend the constitution. He's probably going to get voted out of office. Oh, he's gone. You think? Yeah, when you get both sides to turn against somebody, then the person doesn't really have a chance anymore. No. And that's what Tucker Carlson, Tucker Carlson, that was, see, we don't see Ron Paul on other networks yeah. as often now, so we don't get to see this as much because yeah. Rand Paul doesn't necessarily get it like he, like Ron Paul did. But this is what they would do with Ron Paul all the time. When I when I watched that Tucker Carlson video, it was like a flashback. It is As soon as he starts into the complexities of it, then the other person, whether they're on the left or right, they both agree at this moment we're going to attack the libertarian and not let them get their point out and pretty much silence what they're trying to say. Yeah, I uh, I have been surprised that Rand Paul gets a position on this health care thing. They are listening to him. Trump tweeted Repeal it and then replace it later in right after I had a meeting with Rand Paul, which is basically Rand's position. But I don't know if Rand is there just to make it look like he's getting airtime just to make it look like there's really a debate going on. Right. Maybe that's what my existence is all about. I don't think that's the case. The last thing that these elites and their little propagandists want is for people to think critically and ask questions. They want people reacting emotionally. They want people not being able to have discussions. What you do is you promote critical thinking. You promote the questioning of things, and you give people a forum to do that, and you stimulate their thought so that people do that you know, in their daily lives when they're reading the news and when they're thinking about the bigger agenda. So I think actually what you do provides a pretty valuable service. Well, I did like that you think libertarians need that too sometimes, and I did get a, I did get some people supporting me, I have to say. JJ, I can always count on JJ to support me in that kind of stuff because uh, he can, he's capable of having a conversation. But um, yes, I know. I think you're right about that. I think that that's really the value, and that's great because I, I think this – Internet, open source investigation, uh, I think that's going to dry up. I think they're going to crack down on real information. So I don't think we're going to be able to provide much or even, you know what I mean? Even just doing research is probably not going to get us very far if they crack down, you know, the censorship comes down. All right. Well, was there anything else on uh, the immigration thing? Was I clear, unclear? Did you have any? I thought it was very enlightening. I thought it was very enlightening. I'm sure that there's questions that will come up that we can address at, a, at another time. That was a good... Yes, I would be happy to address questions. All right. But that was, uh, that was great. Thank you. Thank you for explaining that in detail.
That was a joy. Thank you for for bringing the uh, Mika tweet to. <laughs> I tried to avoid talking about the Mika tweet, but you know, well, the Mika tweet's a distraction from this other stuff. So we have to acknowledge the the distraction in order to look beyond it. Yes, isn't that like a psychological theory? Like you acknowledge the feeling. Probably. Oh, yes. Definitely acknowledge the feeling. Release the feeling. You don't bottle it up and explode into a Twitter rage is what people do these days. Uh, Yes, yes. Oh, my gosh. I'm so not suited to the modern, (laughs) to to modern discourse. I am absolutely (laughs) not suited to it at all. But you know what? Maybe that's, uh, maybe that'll, maybe that'll bring something to the table. Let's see. So, my dear, thank you so much. That was uh, super fun. And I have no idea what episode this is, but um, it's been a good episode. And uh, we will be back soon. Thank you very much. This is Monica Perez. Goodbye, Brad Binkley. See you later.